Hi and hello. Welcome to another episode of the Agile Coffee Podcast. This is episode 25. I am Victor Bonacci, your host. I start this episode off by referring to Scrum Day Orange County as something that's about to happen in about a week. Well, truth be told, it's happened uh, maybe two weeks ago. Um, you see, friends, I've fallen a bit behind in getting these podcasts published. And um, although I'd like to say I have a good excuse, really it's only that we have the Agile Coach Camp coming up here in Irvine, California, uh, here in a couple weeks in April April 10th through the 12th. And so there's a couple of us that are really working around the clock to make that happen and make it a really uh, special event. So um, thank you for being patient, and um, it's all going to work out in the end. Listen to the next few podcasts because we've got some great stuff coming up, and then we will be recording podcasts from the Coach Camp as well. So it should be a great time. You ready? Set? Let's go. Hey, welcome to Agile Coffee, episode number 25. 25, guys. That's pretty good. We made it so far. I'm very proud of us, you know. It's I think like we've a got a silver some... anniversary or something. Yeah, right? there you go. I didn't get you guys anything, but there's some yeah. coffee over there. It might be a little old, but it's from the last it, podcast. It's from like a few days ago, yeah. <laughs> it was brewed with heart. That's right. So here's another podcast coming at you, Brewed with Heart, by my friends Brett Palmer and Larry Lawhead. Good morning, guys. Good morning. morning. Larry can be reached on Twitter at his brand new shiny Twitter address, yes, at Larry Lawhead. Brett can be reached on Twitter at Brett underscore Palmer. I'm Victor Bonacci and can be reached on Twitter at Agile Coffee. Before we get going, guys, I wanted to, uh, first of all, say that later this week, we've got the Scrum Day Orange County, but we also wanted to talk about a very important event coming up one month from now. Oh, yes. Agile Coach Camp US West. That's right. That's going to be in Irvine, and it's just going to be an awesome event. It's a weekend. It's April 10th in the evening, um, and then all day Saturday the 11th and the 12th. And it's going to just, it's just going to be awesome. Can't wait. Uh, the 10th through the 12th at the Irvine Regional Outdoor, Outdoor Education yeah. Center. It's a mouthful, but it's up at the top of Jamboree Road at the uh, big Irvine Park, yeah, for those of you who It's just a fantastic um, location. Uh, it's in the back of a regional park. It's just mm-hmm. beautiful. Yeah, it's an old Boy Scout camp, so it's got a bungalow suite. It's got a bunkhouse uh, that it's we're going to rent out for, for sleeping bags. So if you're coming, pack accordingly with your sleeping bags. <laughs> you don't bag. have to sleep over. You can always, There's you know. hotels and motels, you know. Yeah. If you're local, you can. But you know, if you are sleeping to, over, you take advantage of the great outdoors, the fire pit that we've got going oh, on, yeah. and night hiking. and you could, talk, you could talk agile until the wee hours of the morning. I'll bring my guitar. We'll make up new uh, Agile Coffee oh, theme songs. Oh, this is an idea. I like this. <laughs> you could bring your, your keyboard, you know. Yeah. Jam. Yeah. Have an Agile Jam. We've got a few cards on the table already. Um, we've prioritized them. Let's go ahead and just say what each uh, each topic is. Actually, Brett, I think we're going to kind of go go your way and just kind of introduce each topic as we get to it since we've already got them story pointed out or yeah or so this one is basically on agile uh, planning on agile planning yeah so uh, basically the different ways that uh agile planning happens um and different places within a you know a team where the planning is happening and 
um, where it happens, and if we're looking at a scaled model, um, where that might happen across multiple teams. Cool. So identifying the different points yeah. in, in the process where planning takes place and, yeah. and what types of planning, um, like who's involved with the planning, yeah. what, how long does the process, each process take, mm-hmm. that type of thing. Larry, you were um, interested in the topic. Yeah, I remember at the absolutely. last podcast we talked a little bit about Mike Cohn's uh, Agile Estimating and Planning book. Yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in this because um, in some of the projects that I've been on, we've, we've had to wait for stories to be created and then business uh, ideas and plans weren't quite in place. And so you're wondering how can you coax out of the uh, product owner or the, the, the organization uh, – ideas of what they what they want to do it sounds sort of funny because why would they engage a team if they're not ready to go on something right so what's the vision what's the roadmap yeah, or, or beyond that all of the above okay all okay. of the above and what i've been trying to communicate or what in these cases what i try to communicate is that we don't have to have it all planned out mm. it's not it's almost like when it comes to planning companies sometimes want to get that that waterfall effect in so far as they want to have it all out planned out, at least the, the strong direction planned out, and then they'll go on it. But I, I, a lot of times I just say, well, just give us, if you're sure of two points, then give us these two points. Well, and then this is just getting back into the main philosophy difference between the typical waterfall where you want to plan up front, and then if there's any new direction or new information, you do a change request, right? Um, whereas within, within Agile, you've got those planning opportunities built into the framework, right? Constantly. These different ideas of, of feedback loops, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the planning within Agile is just an opportunity for teams and people to have a conversation, right? Is mm-hmm. what we're doing working? And it can happen from, from different levels, right? Those feedback loops are happening when you've got two developers doing pair programming. Yeah, exactly. When they're doing unit testing or when they're doing refactoring, um, all those feedback loops, or even when you're doing your sprint planning or um, you know, product backlog grooming, you're, you're having those feedback loops, you're, you're, you're planning. And so so you're, you can think of it as like taking something very big and undefinable mm-hmm. um, in a roadmap, say, or a vision yeah. statement, and you're continually like going through planning iterations and planning cycles to, to break that up into finer and finer uh, details, eventually to stories and then to tasks. And what you're talking about, Brett, is this very cor- uh, not coarse, but the very fine kind of components at the end, where you've got two people talking to each other and doing this planning at a micro level. Right. Whether mm-hmm. it's paired programmers or right. a PO and a, a business analyst or or whoever the relationship is. That's, right. Exactly. So it can yeah. scale. The planning is actually happening very at a broad level when you've got um, the stakeholders going into like a product vision yeah, where they're yeah. determining like just the high level year plan. Right. And that process could take a while. Oh, that could take right? many months if right? you've never built up that yeah. plan before. Because right? you're taking something big and mostly unknown. And exactly. Right. Yeah. And so like if you were looking at something like maybe uh, um, roadmap or your high-level vision, and then you're just uh, deconstructing it um, down from the epic level, Mm -hmm. down into the individual features. You have those planning meetings as well. Then you you would reduce it into the actual, you know, backlog. So let's take a step back. You're talking about the first initial meetings. Who's involved? 
Is the whole no. team involved? Is Well, not the very high level. Right. Those would be the executive stakeholders, right? You okay. know, those are the people that are, like, really trying to understand what it is, you know, the, the – it could be it could be a cross-functional committee, right? Yeah. You've got marketing yeah. involved. Yep. Exactly. You've got the business analysts involved, maybe at a very high level. Strategically, this is strategic mm-hmm. planning we're talking sure. about. Sure. Right. So at the we're theme the, level or even the initiative epic, level. The very right? uh, epic, epic yeah. what are, what's our competitor doing? What's our market, you know, doing? Mm-hmm. What's the government – Regulations, you know, happening right now, and sure. and how do we want to plan our you know roadmap for the next? So that know, takes a while, and that involves a lot of different people. Yes. And then what's the next uh, step down? It comes to the PO probably. Yeah. So after it gets you know to the very high level uh, portfolio level, there's the portfolio okay. level planning that's happening, right? And then once they determine like okay what the priorities are for for those epics, then then you get down into the program level planning where they're actually like breaking it down. They have a they have a a roadmap for that individual product that they're building. Okay, so you're kind of talking around uh, Dean Leffingwell's safe, mm, yes. but I mean it applies to other uh, well, other sure. scaled. Uh, it, it's this idea that the planning's happening mm. at a very broad level, mm. and then it kind of filters its way down and funnels its way mm. down through the lower levels of the organization down into the, like you said, finally, when you've got two people uh, sitting next to each other coding, you know, doing pair programming. So before you get to the two people yeah. coding, you've, you've got it then through the program and, and it comes down to the product, the right. product owner. And, right. right, and then it eventually goes down into the product owners, you know, that are actually de- de- developing those backlogs for those teams. So we know the three of us in this room and most of our listeners are probably very aware of that backlog grooming process, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. right? So that's certainly, when someone says agile planning, that's one of the things that we think of immediately because we talk about it in Scrum as one of the ceremonies. Well, so right? it's, it's the planning not only for the two-week sprint, or mm-hmm. those, but it's also understanding what that roadmap is. When we talk about roadmap, we're talking like the, the next three to six months, right? Yeah, the next, exactly. Uh, higher level stuff, right? Right, those, those program increments. Like what are you going to deliver every two and a half months, let's say, or, or every uh, five sprints? Are you going to be releasing some some major components um, if we're talking about software development. And so that's what we're really getting into. You know, the thing that really helped me a lot at, at this high-level program management uh, level was the, uh, the, this uh, a recent um, lecture that we had at the um, Agile SoCal meeting on the, uh, the, weighted, um, the weighted short... Job oh, weighted, yeah, weighted shortest job first, right? That was so, that was for me kind of a real okay so revolution. This is also coming out of safe, right? Yeah, and so that really helped. Well, it's actually really coming from Donald Reinertsen. He wrote okay. a book um, called "The Principles of Product Development Flow." Um, you can get it on Amazon. Um, Donald Reinertsen um, has just been in the industry for like 30 years. Um, he's really got it dialed in. That's a fantastic book. I think every serious uh, agilist uh, should own it um, weighted shortest job first uh, for its WSJF um, basically it's just a fun formula for prioritizing work yeah. um, and so for example if you're a product owner and you want to prioritize your backlog items you would basically you know, use a particular formula, this weighted shortage job first formula, in order to be able to understand what the stack rank is for these items and which ones you want to have your teams tackle first. It's a very useful tool. Any other uh, agile planning that we needed to kind of dive into now? Because then you get finer grained, you get 
mm-hmm. you know, the team is involved, and then, like you said, it, it's kind of right. day-to-day um, in pairs or small groups. I think right once on. you get the weighted mm-hmm. shortest job first settled, mm-hmm. doing this exercise, mm-hmm. then your user story mapping, I think, would be mm-hmm. would be one of the next things you want to do. It's funny you say, because the very next card on our board says, indeed, user story mapping. So this is your card, Larry. Yeah, this is something I, I want to get into in, in more detail because this whole thing of agile planning is is, is something I've been spending uh, quite a bit of time on, especially since um, being exposed to the weighted uh, shortest job first idea. That really got my mind going. <laughs> so, And I thought, well, okay, so once you have that process done, what's your next step? And then I ran into this book, User Story Mapping, um, by um, by Jeff Patton, and I thought this is this is a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying the book. I'm not finished with it yet, but uh, I I did want to bring it up here and ask you guys what kind of experiences you've had with it and um, how you've benefited from it. Well, I've worked with multiple business analysts in coaching them how to, and even product owners to write user stories, um, how to develop them, and create your conditions of acceptance and groom them out from that perspective and how to properly size them. I think it's very important um, that they get written correctly. Um, But ultimately, you've got multiple user stories that are creating, that are rolling up to a particular feature, right? And so um, sometimes it's, it's, you've got to look at um, user stories and and how you might want to slice them so that they can uh, deliver value without necessarily being dependent on one another because then it gets really tricky in terms of saying, well, now we've got a last first dependency between user stories and and that might complicate things a little bit. Yeah. This is a fantastic book. I mean, if if anyone's into um, user stories or, or the role of the product owner, um, highly, highly recommend the new book by Jeff Patton. It came out uh, last September, but user story mapping is the place to start. So, um, you know, it, it talks about getting real about stories. So telling real stories about your user stories. And, and there's a lot in here about storytelling and telling better stories and, and how the card is just the beginning and how you have the three C's with the card, right? Um, uh, you've got the, the card itself, uh, the conversation that, Brett, you're talking about, yep. and then that confirmation. Well, that's the Ron mm-hmm. Jeffries mm-hmm. card, conversation, confirmation. Right, and that right. comes out, I mean, that's touched upon in the book. Uh, it's really amazing. Uh, the stuff in here is just so valuable. And the, and the book itself, visual, colorful, um, which is great because user story mapping, as I've experienced it, is such a visual and mm-hmm. kind of temporal and in time and, and a physical activity where you're getting up, moving around. Um, so reading about it in a book is is hard to learn it uh, purely from the book, but the visual examples that they have throughout there is useful. Yeah, the so book is a very easy read. Have any of us used uh, story mapping with our teams? I haven't, That's, uh, but I mm-hmm. want to get into this. I think it's going to be a huge benefit. Yeah, I haven't uh, myself uh, seen any of my teams use story mapping. I've made a note to myself after going to the, uh, the certified product owner uh, course, um, scrum product owner course, that uh, I, I'd learned about it there and saw an example of it and wanted to bring it back to my teams and mm-hmm. work with my product owner because I think that, as we're saying, it's just such mm-hmm. a fundamental 
thing. Easy to easy to find out about when you're actually doing it mm-hmm. um, with the team. You know, if you put yourself in the place of a product owner, mm-hmm. they are. I can see how they can become very easily overwhelmed. They, mm-hmm. The the executives come up with an idea, and uh, salespeople are throwing in their ideas, and then they they get this basket of stuff, and they have to make it work, mm-hmm. and they have to put it in a, in a form that it, it's going to sell. And so they're under a tremendous amount of pressure. And I think user story mapping is one way of, it, at least in this way, decomposing the ideas that's, that executives might come up with into a workable format where we can actually start create, getting stories into production and out to the, out to the customer. Yeah, Patton and his co-author, uh, Peter Economy, um, do a great job because they provide a template for us to use when we create um, like how to start, how to get the story mapping uh, going. But uh, but I've always liked seeing it in the room where the wall is just filled with <laughs> stories. Like you've got a paper, then you draw a line to another paper. It's like this story begets this story. And then you're like, oh, wait a minute. Well, we need these other actions in the middle. The system has to like play a part. Not only the user has to reply, but the system replies back. So. You have architects saying, well, it really needs to happen like this behind the scenes. And, and the product owner is like, oh, I wasn't aware that that needs to happen behind mm-hmm. the scenes. And so you get that conversation going, which is, as we're saying, ultimately providing the most value. Good stuff there. It's all about keeping the conversation going because, you know, I listen to these podcasts. I go back and listen. I've listened to each one probably two or three times now. And Larry, as we were talking before we turned on the mics here, this is great because I'm always – listening to it again and going, oh, I didn't hear that. Or, or if I heard it, I interpreted it a completely different way, yeah, and I'm, I'm getting value out of that. Yeah, so um, so if you're finding value in this conversation as well, go to iTunes or Stitcher and, and give, us, um, give us some feedback, whether it's just a simple rating. That's actually the best thing that you could do is just give us a number of stars uh, or providing uh, comments. We'd love to hear. All right, so the next card that we have up here is called Roles in Pair Coaching. I wrote this card. Um, This is something that has been important to me for a long, long time, the idea of pair coaching. Uh, I feel like I've been doing it for um, long periods in my life before I even knew what Agile or Scrum was. I've been um, kind of steeped in the idea of learning with someone else, maybe helping the other person learn, learning together, or using them to accelerate my own learning. So when you're talking about pair coaching, mm-hmm. what's the context of that coaching? Are we talking about like getting together after hours and having that rapport with that second coach, or are we talking about actually coaching teams together? What are we What are we talking about? All, both? Of, all of the okay. above. Okay. Really, I threw the the word roles in this card because I kind of wanted to dive, uh, kind of cast a broad net and see like what types of roles you could, you could see. So specific to my experiences with teams on, mm-hmm. in IT and, and agile teams and scrum teams, I think there's a number of roles that you can have. Um, the first, one of the first obvious ones is that if you're doing some kind of a training activity, uh, to a room and, and kind of leading through a transformation or boot camp or any kind of a, a technical topic and I'm the trainer, and I ask you, Brett, uh, mm-hmm. to come in and be my co-trainer. Um, maybe you could. We could tag team, right? And yeah. we could take. Right. I could take a few slides. You could take a few slides, or right. or I could be the main primary trainer. But I might call on you because you're a subject matter expert in some aspect of it, right. or a second voice. 
Or simply, I might ask you to sit in the back of the room and observe the room Mm -hmm. and see if everyone's following along. And maybe if there's people who don't quite get it, Maybe you could work with them. Or maybe I scratch my nose that says, hey, you, you know, give that me a per- signal that there's says. A, there's a certain <laughs> signal hand signs. And yeah, it's like the, the pitcher the and the catcher working together, yeah, right. the third base coach, right? But, um, but, yeah, you have that other person observing and maybe preparing feedback. Either they're offering it in real time um, as kind of an active observer or they're preparing it to give it to you later on for kind of that um, after hours kind of instruction. Hey, you could did you think of using this? You could have tried that. Um, but like I say, they're so that's, also that's pair training, though. What you're, you're that's kind of talking about. Sure, it's it's under the umbrella of pair coaching, but right. yeah, that's that's specific to a training exercise. Okay. Um, if you're working with a team, say right. um, whether it's at a retrospective or a planning mm-hmm. uh, meeting or anything, you could have um, you could have different opportunities for pair coaching. What about having one coach be kind of like um, the bad cop and then another <laughs> coach being like the good cop? That's you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so. so that was uh, kind of like the next one I was oh, going to go okay. to is, is that typical good cop, bad cop role so that you're covering both roles. One person right. is being the stern, you know, we're going to do it this way because, right. you know, we're going to just try it this way, believe me it's going to work, or whatever they have to do, but they have right. to, like, take the stand right. on Agile or Scrum and, and say, this is the way we're going to do it. And, and and the other person can be the shoulder to cry on. You know, like, yeah, we know Vic is a, is a hard ass, but, you know, it'll get better. Just trust him for the, yeah. for the first time around. And if it doesn't, you know, we'll work on ways to get around. So you're providing that kind of uh, facility right. for people to vent and, right. and get their frustrations out. I like this idea of um, pair coaching because it's consistent with the whole agile idea that we're stronger when we work and cooperate together than we are as individuals. And this, if you're up front as a team of two or more uh, coaching or teaching or doing whatever, presenting, uh, you at the outset are giving this idea that we're in it together. Teams are stronger than individuals. And I think just the very fact that this is done is already a message in itself. Yeah, go back a, a couple of podcasts. John and I were talking about um, the book uh, Quantum Psychology. I mm-hmm. gave it to him as a gift recently. He was reading it. And it led him to questions on perspectives and how many people, um, how each of us comes from our own reality tunnel or, or gloss or whatever you want to call it, our own perspective. And and when you introduce another person in the equation, now you have two different blind men descri- describing the elephant instead of just one. Yeah. Right. Uh, and yeah. the more of these people, the better a picture of the real truth, if there's such a thing, exactly. kind of exists. So far, we've been talking about mentoring types of relationships or or unequal, like a uh, between the two coaches. We're talking about one person maybe with more experience or mm-hmm. or a totally different role. And uh, the same can be true of, of mentoring. So if I'm a, an experienced coach and I'm working with someone who's rising in, through the organization, wants to become a coach, they're a scrum master, so I'm more of a mentor to them. Um, the Japanese, it's funny that John's not here for this one because he and I have talked about this having both lived in Japan for a while. The Japanese have this um, idea of a kohai and a senpai. A senpai oh, is like the elder, kind of the mentor, and the kohai is the, the younger, the junior. And throughout whether it's schools or businesses you know companies when a new person joins a company they kind of hook up with a, a senpai a master basically someone who's not like mm-hmm. technically their master but they look up to for mm-hmm. for questions i think um i think john was telling us recently that he's in this new engagement where he's got uh an onboarding buddy 
Like that's a kohai men, uh, senpai mm-hmm. kohai relationship. Um, but then if if you're both equals, or if you're not putting anyone in any special role, there's a there's another way that you can use pair coaching, and that's co-learning. So oh, yeah. again, like you're talking about, Larry, how there's when we are together, we tend to learn more. Well, yeah, if you're like defining the rules, saying, okay, we're going to like get into this whole Docker and DevOps and IT, you know, kind of firestorm, and yeah. I'm new to it and you're new to it, so let's learn it together and compare notes yeah. kind of thing. That's actually really interesting, mm-hmm. right, because that's kind of what we want to start talking about at Agile Coach Camp is is what it what Agile 2.0 is and mm-hmm. Docker and some of those new new ideas that are, that are coming through. Yeah, think about it. It's, it's very difficult to try to do something like that on your own. Maybe right. maybe you have a different way of learning. It's really hard, and mm-hmm. it's good to have someone else's input there. But but just for an encouragement point of sure. view, you know, keeping your yourselves going. So so those are some of the roles that I thought of. Uh, again, kind of like the trainer and, and the assistant or the observer trainer, the good cop, bad cop, the senpai kohai, and then like co-learners, people that are maybe on the same like mm-hmm. a sports team or a football team who are both like learning together. Uh, is something I thought of. Um, what other roles are there? So it made me, it made me curious when teams talk about um, extreme programming and, and pair programming uh, as, as a practice under that, because there you have pretty much the same types yep, of relationship. Exactly. Either yep. someone's more advanced at a technology or skill or coding practice and the other person's learning from it, and in those situations you usually put the junior person at the keyboard and you have the more experienced person kind of sitting back, right? But in, also in pair programming, you've got just people who are equals or, or co-learning this thing together. And, and they take turns mm-hmm. driving. And there's synergy between that. Sure. Yeah. There's right brain, left brain things going on too. Yeah. So. yeah. so why can't that happen in coaching? I mean, I'm surprised it's not happening enough as, as much as I would think it should be. So if anyone out there has any any uh, experience in pair coaching? I would love to know more about that. It's uh, one of my favorite topics. Um, pair coaching. Use the hashtag Tell Agile Coffee or Ask Agile Coffee if you have a question. But uh, let me know about pair coaching. There's a a topic in the forums that I've started for pair coaching. And um, when I went up to the Agile Open in Portland uh, a few weeks back, um, I, I talked to a room full of people on on pair coaching. So I'll throw some of my findings. Uh, I've thrown some of my findings there, um, and I'll put some in the show notes as well. Uh, you can go to agilecoffee.com slash episode 25 for those and for links to any of the books that we're talking about or, or really anything else. We've got one more card on the table, and Brett... It's yours. Oh, yeah. This is just a card about servant leadership because there's a lot of talk about that. And um, uh, and, and this is a very different than, than command and control, right? We're talking about the scrum master being that servant leader for the team and uh, this, this idea of what, what that servant leadership really is about it um i was actually doing some research recently about it um it looks like it came from um, robert greenleaf um back in 1970 uh, there was an essay that he published called the servant as leader um, and robert greenleaf was a corporate leadership expert uh, and identified like 10 or so characteristics of what a good servant leader 
was about. Um, and top on that list of characteristics for a servant leader, listening, mm-hmm. empathy, yeah. right? Um, building the community and commitment to people, right? All important aspects of a good scrum master. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I um, I love the topic of servant, servant leadership as well. And, and I think that's what really sold me on Agile when I first kind of discovered what it was. It was like, wow, I don't have to like, practice this command and control authoritarian role right. and, and and you don't oh. have to have all the answers you just have to empower yeah. others yeah. um and develop people right mm-hmm. you're developing your team you're you're sharing the power right instead of owning the power right mm-hmm. and you're helping to build the community and you know listen without being judgmental right mm-hmm. you know being open and accountable right showing appreciation being authentic all of the above. Yes. Um, without it, you can't possibly hope to uh, practice Agile as it, as it should be practiced, right? Um, so I was at San Francisco Agile 2012. Tom Louie, who works at Big Visible, uh, gave a talk on servant leadership and mapping your course through servant leader- leadership. So mapping my own path, creating my map, mm-hmm. how I came to become mm-hmm. the servant leader that I am now. And I found it very valuable for me to kind of sit back and look at different roles that I've had in my life before Agile where I learned traits of servant leadership. Did you guys know that I was a an altar boy when I was in, you know, elementary school or, you know, Catholic uh, going to school there and they needed altar boys. So I was one of those guys who would, you know, accompany the priest and, mm-hmm. and carry the Bible and, and the holy water and whatever. I was a teaching assistant uh, for a while as a servant kind of leadership role. I, I worked um, various jobs where I was more of a facilitator at times uh, as a manager where I was serving the team by, by doing other, other duties that may not have been explicitly uh, called out for. You know, in the corporate world, you've got, you've got or the idea that I'm, I, I see that's most prevalent is the command and control idea, you know, um, um, I, I've been thinking a lot le- recently about, you know, after World War II, there was this idea, and, and possibly before, but let's take a look at the 50s for a moment, maybe the 60s, where you had, uh, you took the, the military structure and you placed it into business, and that's just how it was. You yeah. had the CEO, he was responsible for everything, and, right. and uh, he called the shots, and everybody else uh, followed his orders. And that's gone through some evolution, uh, but is this really how people are wired up? And the answer to that is no, I don't believe so. Or you can go all the way back to the uh, Enlightenment with um, with uh, with Machiavelli, and he was very he was very strict at how he saw the world. This guy is responsible for that, and everybody else does what he says. But where do societies, where do corporations, where do companies end up with this? They, they may have um, a sprint of good luck, you, you could say, under a command and control um, process. But the whole issue is as soon as the CEO runs out of gas or, or his inspiration goes or whatever, or you swap CEOs, that falls apart. And 
is that what you really want to do with your organization is just uh, make a quick buck and walk out? Or do you <laughs> want to have a sustain, sustainable growth? Everybody would say they want to have growth that just continues to, 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 to increase the year over year. And if that is what the, the idea is to make money here, mm-hmm. then if, if our goal is to make money, then I believe servant leadership will get us there and keep us there. Well, I, I agree with so much of what you've said. Um, you talked earliest about uh, the command and control coming kind of from military kind of uh, backgrounds and successes, and and um, it reminded me that, that there's uh, situational leadership. So Ken Blanchard wrote the book about situational leadership and kind of devised a matrix, uh, like four different quadrants, and how you can move through in each situation hmm. that relies on a different type of a leadership. So if you're in a, in a crisis – uh, is one extreme example. Um, you want someone to kind of direct and yeah, give orders, yeah, and, and you can't really take the the model that you know the team will find the best way well, and empower them. And th- mm-hmm. this gets into where we're talking about like centralized control mm-hmm. and decentralized control. Right? Okay. You want to have within an enterprise, and Safe gets into this where there's the distinction made between those things which the enterprise, the system architect, for example, they're going to determine for the enterprise, and then things that want to be decentralized, those areas in which the team then is empowered itself to to be able to handle on its own. Mm -hmm. Great stuff. Um, Are there any good modern books on servant leadership. You had mentioned one, uh, was it a paper or a book? I think it was an essay. An essay, yeah. And and I've been looking around. I haven't found any really great kind of definitive like servant leadership uh, book. There's one or two out there, but I'm not There's a lot of leadership books in general. Yeah. But that's what I'm on the lookout for is, um, you know, more conversation around what is a servant leader and what's the value. Well, if the main value is mm -hmm. listening then you could just get a book on how to have good listening skills. I'm going to get an audio book. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. Audio books and podcasts, both uh, some of my favorite things. Uh, if you like our podcast, please reach out to us on Twitter and let us know. As well, go to iTunes or Stitcher and give us some stars, some kind of a rating. Let's us know that um, what we're doing is worthwhile. I wanted to thank both Larry Lawhead and Brett Palmer for joining me here today. It's always a privilege. Thank you, Vic. Thank you, guys. Um, giving us your time is, is so uh, valuable, and I'm grateful for that. Um, as well, thank you, the listener, for putting up with us for another 35 minutes today. Uh, if you like our weekly program, um, again, let us know. Are there any things that you recommend? Uh, did you like today's uh, subtle change in format? Did you notice a change in format? <laughs> All little questions that I've got uh, and would love to hear a response on. But in the, uh, in the meantime, until we see you again, I just want to say from Agile Coffee, I hope that your springtime is terrific and you enjoy your coffee with best friends. Agile Coffee.